I'm really, really excited to get going. So Yay. yeah, um, I guess for everybody who doesn't know who I am, my face, I am Erin Edwards. Uh, I'm so happy to be joining all of you here today and happy that people are interested in intuitive eating and maybe what that is and what it looks like in terms of our health and our wellness. So as you may or may not know, I'm the co-founder of Queen Wellness and Queen is an online health and wellness education platform that really focuses on getting women who are accessing care, the right care that they need so that they don't get lost in the system. And this is part of our webinar series, Inspiring in, uh, Insights, where we host uh, masterclasses and webinars with amazing practitioners like Tisha in our network so that we can get to know them and so that you can get to know them and help start your own wellness journey. So we're hopefully hoping to inspire insights for a more conscious world and and really helping women run just as authentically as they do efficiently because I know all of you work really hard and try to find the shortcuts out there and sometimes we sacrifice our authenticity in that so here's what Queen Wellness really does and and I would love 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 for anyone tuning in right now to um, just drop a wave drop a hello into the chat box feel your warmth, feel your presence coming in. And uh, I just want to also introduce Tisha, who is our uh, nutritionist. So she's actually a culinary trained nutritionist. She is the blogger behind an amazing, amazing blog called The Nourish Mind. And she's actually the recipe developer at one of my favorite places here in Toronto called Impact Kitchen. So that's more of a health focused place. And if you don't know <laughs> within the GTA, um, so Tisha, you specialize in regulating hunger, yeah. um, really ditching the diet culture, uh, learning to eat more intuitively without um, compromising your own health, right. And your own client's health. So, so I really appreciate that because, you know, a lot of us have super busy careers. Um, I, remember what you said when we first started talking about this webinar and that is you know the people that you help the most are the people who admit that they're running off of coffee and low calorie diets <laughs> and don't we all in some way or another find ourselves there <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today and and thank you everyone for tuning in on the chat um, as we go, please uh, just write your questions down if you have any, and I can actually mark them as a question so that we can ask them later on in our discussion. And um, uh, I really want Tisha to have a lot of time to focus on what she wants to get across, and hopefully we uh, can provide that, that beautiful platform for her message. So before we start, um, I do want to just kind of outline for folks what we're going to be discussing. So I will be in a few short minutes asking Tisha kind of how she got here and uh, what makes her do the things that she does and really what is intuitive eating and, and where does intuitive eating maybe sometimes miss the mark in terms of our health and, and really the role of foods in our life and maybe comfort foods or hyper palatable foods as we call them and, and, and how to really balance our intuition and trusting our intuition and what our body is asking for with 
uh, our nutrition and really, really why we need both, right? And and I want to also bring up maybe a few uh, myths and how to deal with those in terms of our eating paradigms and our eating frameworks. And uh, we will talk, of course, a little bit of science as well. So we'll talk a little bit about the hunger hormones. And of course, at the end, we'll talk, um, we'll leave space for our Q&A. So that all sounds well. Give me a thumbs up. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so Tisha, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for this. I'm, yeah, I can't wait to dive in today. Yes, I am also really excited. I've been thinking of intuitive eating all last weekend. Of course, <laughs> last weekend was Thanksgiving weekend. And if you're like me, probably had some turkey or some other big bird on the table <laughs> sharing with folks and family and friends. And, and I want to hear from you kind of what what really got you intuitive eating and what you what kind of started you off on this path? Yeah, yeah. So I'll start at the beginning, I think. Um, Please. So like most people that get into nutrition and health, uh, for me, it started with an unhealthy relationship with food um, and with my body. So I struggled with disordered eating uh, for most of my teens and early 20s. Uh, I was constantly on whatever latest diet, eating very low calorie, um, also following the food guide. I thought I was doing everything right, but I was insatiable. I was so hungry. And so I was caught in this vicious cycle of binging and purging for years. And I just remember coming home from class and between three and five o'clock before I had to go out the door to my part-time job, I was stuffing my face with whatever I could. I'd eat an entire box of cookies and a sandwich and like half a pickle jar. It was like I could eat everything. And I had so much guilt wrapped around that. And I felt like I was such a failure because I couldn't control how hungry I was. And so obviously I did what we do and, you know, I'd purge. And then the next day I would immediately be like, hey, I'm not eating today. And it was just vicious, vicious cycle that went on for years. And I started to have some gut troubles, understandably. And a doctor at the time recommended I go gluten-free. And this was back in 2010 when gluten-free foods just weren't super available. And I'm actually very grateful for that because I think had it been today, had the same situation played out, I don't know if I ever really would have like gone down the road I'd had gone down mm -hmm. because I ended up, I had no idea what was gluten-free, didn't know what to eat. So I Googled it. And I came across Mark Sisson's Daily Apple, and he had a variation of the paleo diet called the Primal Blueprint. So I was like, okay, I'll follow this. And so I started eating that. And for the first time within a week, for the first time ever, I was full. And that shook me. That was, I like, I just like, if you've ever like been in the cycle of binging, like you feel like you're, nothing can ever fill you up. And I think that was the first moment it ever occurred to me that nutrition might play a role in how we go about our hunger. However, I didn't address any of the emotional root cause to why I made these food choices. So instead of binging, I kind of just shifted gears and now I was restricting food because I still had this diet mentality. And I think we're all kind of taught this from a young age. And so I never really unpacked why I make those food choices. So I'd gone from this paleo diet and okay, I wasn't hungry anymore, but now I was like, can I remove this food? Can I remove this food? Can I remove this food? And suddenly I was on this keto diet eating nothing. I was eating like maybe an egg and a piece of bacon and I wasn't eating till one o'clock and I was surviving off coffee. And all the while I'm telling myself it's for my health, but I feel terrible and I'm muscle wasting. I'm probably the thinnest I've ever been. And I'm still 
trying to lose weight. And that's just because of how pervasive I think diet culture is. Um, and for me, I think I ended up going down this very like dark space, I guess. And I remember I was at a place where I was only eating, not keto at all, but this was the only, I was so afraid of all foods essentially because I just restricted everything. I was eating Kraft peanut butter from the jar. That was the only thing I was eating. And then I started developing an intolerance to peanuts and my entire world crumbled because I didn't know what to eat. And at that point, I started working with a cognitive behavioral therapist. And that was the first time I'd really unpacked that, okay, nutrition is helpful to hunger, but it's not the only thing. And if you're not under, if you're not addressing those underlying emotional reasons to why we eat, you're only going to get so far. And so it took another few years to really get there. But I started to understand this concept of intuitive eating long before I'd even understood there was a framework for it and just kind of allowing new foods into my system, into my world and kind of creating a safe space. And that's kind of what I wanna talk about today is just this idea that intuitive eating can actually go so far in helping you regulate your hunger, but as can nutrition and they do kind of go hand in hand. Wow. <laughs> wow, thank you so much, Tisha, for sharing that. It's it's moving, you know, I, I really think that our story has a lot to do with where we end up in life. And it's obvious for you that, you know, you're still learning that, and you're also, you know, our life is probably one of our best teachers. So it's, it's humbling for you to really just open up to us and say, yeah, you know, this is what I've been through and it's okay. And if you're struggling with something along those lines, you know, there is help. And there's also merit in listening to your body. You know, there is that kind of balance in between. So I'm kind of curious now, I guess, for folks who, who aren't really sure what the actual intuitive eating framework looks like, um, can you kind of paint us a picture of what that means? Yeah, yeah. So intuitive eating is actually a framework. It was created by two dietitians. Uh, it's been around for a long while, but basically the whole concept is that it allows you to trust your body, trust your own natural instinct when it comes to making your food choices. So there are 10 principles um, that kind of guide this process along. I won't go through all of them, but you can Google them. I've written a blog post on it on my blog. If you want to check it out, it's called What is Intuitive Eating? Um, but basically, there are these concepts that just allow these principles that allow you to just, you know, check in with yourself to honor your hunger. So to eat when you're hungry, to feel your fullness, to ditch the diet mentality, listen to the voices in your head and to kind of break away from moralizing food. Because so often we have these you know, we have these ideas around food that food is clean or dirty and good and bad. And food is none of these things. Food just is, it just exists. And yeah, there are different reactions and consequences or benefits that happen with certain foods, but they do all kind of fit into this like framework of being a human being and living a very well-lived life. And so intuitive eating kind of creates space for that. Um, so it's a concept I really like. Nice. And and you mentioned the morality of food and, and what if for folks who are listening, um, what does that mean? Like, what does that entail? Yeah, I think it's, it's and I don't know if this is just a puritanical, like we just bring that with, with us. I don't know. But it is this idea that we always we just we we put so much value on ourselves. Um, 
and we make food so virtuous or evil or whatever it is. And we have these concepts around food and we judge ourselves accordingly. So if we eat a cupcake, suddenly we're a bad person because we don't have willpower and we don't have self-control. And, you know, that's why we're this, 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 and this. And it doesn't really work like that. Food is food and you are totally entitled to eat whatever you want. And I don't think it does anybody any favors by having this negative framework and feeling bad about yourself when these food choices do exist and do fit into a healthy lifestyle. Ooh, so good. So good. So for the audience, I'm wondering what kind of foods do you think are, are quote unquote bad? Um, you know, how can we measure that in terms of, you know, I'm a, I'm a fiend for ice cream. I'll just give you an example. Oh, I'm an absolute fiend. Meanwhile, being lactose intolerant. So, you know, I've come to this kind of place in my head where I say, okay, I love ice cream and I'm going to treat myself with ice cream because I love it and I think I deserve it today. Meanwhile, my body still doesn't necessarily like ice cream or digest it properly, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm wondering about like, I, I guess that kind of falls into the, you know, bad kind of food category, you know? Yeah. And so many of us have those categories that, and it's not just ice cream. It's not just dairy. You know, there's a lot of other things that people really don't like. Um, and it, yeah, depending on where you are, it can be highly personal. Like there was a time in my life where bananas were bad food and we did not eat bananas, but now obviously that's very much shifted and there's more foods, <laughs> but it is very it is very personal the things that affect us and that we kind of hold with us and place value on mm, hands up if y'all love the peanut butter and banana <laughs> <laughs> that is quote unquote my jam <laughs> oh god sorry bad joke dad joke okay. um <laughs> so so this intuitive eating concept um i'm starting to get you know my head wrapped around it and i and i love the idea and i love the idea that you know my body is kind of telling me the body really talks um my body is telling me what i want to eat you know the cravings are telling me something more than maybe even what i'm drooling for you know like the cravings are are beyond that um but sometimes I, I'm assuming intuitive eating can sometimes miss the mark. Case in point, you know, eating ice cream when you know that you're lactose intolerant. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, maybe touch a little bit more on, on that kind of thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because I do think with intuitive eating, especially right now, there's a huge movement for it where everyone is kind of saying, yeah, eat all the foods, all foods fed. And to a certain degree, I do think that's true. But I do think we also have to be cognizant of how these foods actually affect our body. And I think sometimes that's where it can miss the mark, where it was very personal what you can eat as an individual because it's going to affect you very differently. But there are some foods like hyperpalatable foods, for example, like our refined sugar processed foods that actually kind of hijack our regular body signals and our hunger hormones and they dysregulate our hunger and they also can you know cause these insatiable cravings and because of that when we think of intuitive eating and you're just like yes eat all the like eat the unhealthy food 
it might actually fuel the system where now all you crave are those unhealthy foods because we've created the system where everything's kind of out of balance, our blood sugar is out of whack. And that's kind of where I think nutrition needs to be an element in there because, you know, these foods very have a very real consequence on the body. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and can you say a little bit more about the like hyper palatable foods and, and what that yeah. is? Yeah. For sure. So those are foods that tend to be very high in sugar, high in fat, high in salt, often together. And mm. foods don't exist in nature. You just you can't get something out on out on the street in the wild that has all three of these components. So your body loves this food. It wants to eat this food because at the end of the day, your body wants to put on body fat because she's looking out for you. She wants you to survive. She wants you to make it till like through the winter. So we're gonna eat anything that's really like high in easy, accessible calories and hyperpalatable foods fit the mark. And those are foods like, you know, French fries, burgers, anything, you know, cheesy pizza, anything that can kind of like go around our regular hunger signals. Cause from an evolutionary perspective, we're kind of actually made, we kind of have this unique ability to kind of trump our hunger so an example of that is like I, I know we all know this feeling where you eat dinner and you have eaten so much food you're stuffed you can't have another bite and then somebody brings out dessert and you're like okay okay i'm gonna have a piece of that i want a little bit of that and that's yep. the body is like oh these calories are from are from something different like we'll make space for that we need that we're gonna put that we're gonna save that for later and again that's like an evolutionary purpose to put on weight and so it's meant to be you know very beneficial to us. And it means that our bodies are doing their job, but obviously in today's society where everything is so accessible to us, um, there can be a real negative downfall to eating these foods all the time. Yes, I imagine that the convenience factor has really, I mean, is killing us for, for lack of a better word. You know, it's really killing us slowly. Yeah. And that the sugar so readily available and, and sugar nowadays, you know, all it takes is to go get some fast food. Sugar is in things that actually don't normally contain sugar, like burgers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. thing is, like, there's entire industries, you know, that have been built on, like, with food scientists finding ways to make food, like, finding ways for people to want to take one more bite, one more bite. And that's why you can't just eat one chip. And that's why you're going to eat like a second piece of cake. It's because these foods are designed to have that effect on you because they're hijacking the system. Oh, we're just constantly getting hijacked. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Yet my body's saying it's okay, right? So that's I, I that's so cool. I, I really am intrigued by that. Um, I, I guess my next question for you is is to do with you know how can we find that balance you know how can we really dial into uh you know i i'm a mindfulness teacher so i really understand you know when i'm hungry and when i'm not and i'm actually able to stop myself if i need to um because i know that i'm full you know and so there's like a, there's a role that is being played between my intuition, you know, my trust in my own self and what my soul and what my body needs, and then actually the the calories that I'm intaking, right? So can you speak a little bit more along how to balance those two and, and maybe for anybody listening, like how maybe what, what a good first step is? Yeah, yeah. 
I think now it's a good time to talk about this two-dial approach that I love. Um, and it's this two-dial approach to mindful nutrition. And it basically just think of, imagine you have these two dials or you have two faucets to a tap, however you want to think about it. But imagine one is intuitive eating. And this is your intuition. This is your instinct. This is like your emotional response to food. That's part of your decision-making factors when it comes to what you eat. The other part is nutrition, and that's going to be the health benefits. You know, maybe you have certain health goals that you're trying to reach, um, your knowledge around nutrition. Like, that's going to be the other one. And you kind of need both. And at different times, you'll need varying degrees of each. And I'm going to give an example of, let's say you go to a party, um, a social distancing party, a birthday party, and maybe there are cupcakes there, and you decide you're going to have a cupcake. That's when your okay. intuition is going to be more dialed in. And what you eat and how much you eat is going to be your intuition. So maybe you only have half a cupcake because it's store-bought. You don't really like that cupcake. It's vanilla. It's nothing special. That's all you eat. No big deal. Maybe these are the best like cupcakes you've ever had. You eat two of them. Totally fine. No judgment. You eat that without guilt because like this is a party and like live your best life. But then the next day, you wake up and you're kind of tired. You had too much wine. You had you know, like too much sugar and you're feeling hangry, you're feeling exhausted. If you were only going from maybe your intuition, you might just reach for granola bar because you're kind of tired. You just need instant fuel. You've got to be out the door. And now you're kind of in this cycle of maybe your blood sugar's unbalanced. Maybe you're hungry for the rest of the day. You're just kind of irritable and you're kind of in this, this situation you don't want to be in. Whereas maybe first thing in the morning, you decide, okay, I know that if I eat a meal that's higher in protein, I have some healthy fiber and fats, I'm going to just feel better. So knowing that nutrition knowledge, I'm going to maybe have some chia pudding or I'm gonna have an omelet with some greens in there or I'm gonna have a smoothie with some protein powder. And you kind of set yourself up for this better situation. And who knows, maybe by 10 a.m. you've decided you still want that granola bar, so you eat the granola bar. And that's kind of where the two fit together. And it is a really fine line because the last thing you want is to be in this place where you know, you're waking up and you feel guilty about those cupcakes. So now we're balancing it by, you know, reducing calories, eating super healthy, eating super quote unquote clean. Like that's not what we want, but it is this very um, personalized approach where you're kind of just dialing into both factors. Hmm. Yeah, I can see how that is, is so, so important, you know? And so for folks out there, you know, who maybe don't have all the education on, um, you know, like the actual calories that are in foods and, and what that actually means in terms of calorie density and nutrition. Um, you know, what's a good first step that someone can take if they're waking up every morning and they feel really hungry, but they're kind of already guilty because they know they shouldn't eat what they want to eat, which is the coffee, you know, the double double or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think a really good first step is to just eat. If you are, it sounds really boring and basic, but if you are hungry, honor that, accept that, eat something and try to eat a complete meal. So instead of the problem when you eat something that like maybe just like, I don't know, like your granola bar, let's say, or just a coffee with the sugar and cream, is that it's not a complete meal. So it's not really satisfying um, our hunger. And that's often why we have cravings. It's often um, this like macronutrient like requirement that's not being met or calorie need that's not being met. So, you know, I'd recommend that you start your day off with like a good amount of protein, aim for maybe about 20 grams of protein, and just eat um, a really well-balanced meal. And from that, I think you kind of set yourself up in a space that if you're eating, you know, whenever you're eating meals, making sure they're well-balanced, that you have a lot of wiggle room if you want to enjoy other foods. 
Mm. Okay, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And so like, if I'm not the smoothie person, you know, that I, <laughs> that everyone else seems to be. <laughs> um, what's like a good example of, I know you mentioned like protein, but what's a good example of something that I can eat if I, you know, don't have protein powder or don't want to rely on that? Yeah, and not do a smoothie. Uh, yeah, so I would, again, recommend eggs. You can make egg muffins if you want, so they're grab and go. You could even do, I really like paleo muffins for that. Um, you know, add some uh, berries in there. They tend to be a little bit lower in sugar, which is great. Um, again, you could do a chia pudding. You could do overnight oats. Um, and you can add, if you wanted to bump up the egg, uh, if you want to bump up the protein, you could add like egg whites into a regular cooked oats. Uh, so lots of different things you could do for sure. Ooh, nice. Okay. And I think that you also have some recipes that you're going to be giving out, which are included in the well-fed guide, right? That we're going to... There aren't any recipes there, um, okay. but I have plenty on my blog. So people are welcome to check it out. I do have a sample meal plan. So if you want to look at that, that's in the guide. Okay, amazing. Yeah, that works. Um, so yeah, for folks uh, who uh, haven't heard at the beginning, we are also giving out, um, Tish is so kind to be giving us one of her gifts. Um, it's a well-fed guide on basically how to guide yourself to less hunger and really improve your metabolism while, while keeping fit and healthy. Nice. Um, Tisha, this is so good. I want to keep talking. So <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you, because this is something that's been on my mind for a while now, especially, you know, over Thanksgiving and having to eat all the food that <laughs> your grandparents stuff in your face. Um, you know, what is, what's the role of my willpower in terms of, you know, okay, I feel hungry. Um, I know I maybe should eat some more um, nutrient dense food. Um, I'm going to eat that food, but when I want to stop, can I, or like, you know, where's willpower come into all of this and, and why does it have such a strong pull on our, on what we eat? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that question so much because in my eyes, willpower, when it comes to hunger and your food choices, willpower is kind of a myth. Um, there's a lot of things that dictate why we eat the foods we eat. And there are definitely some external factors that influence why we make our food choices. And that can include things like diet culture and what we're exposed to. We're fed from most facets of our life, especially social media and advertising, um, to constantly be chasing another diet. And so that very much influences like why we choose the foods we eat. Like nobody just woke up and was like, I'm, I'm craving avocado toast. Like that's very much a trend. Like we're like very much influenced by what we see, right? Um, but also food availability and food security. Where do we live? What's our income? What do we have access to? You know, reality is that, you know, cheaper foods tend to be more hyper palatable, tend to be higher calorie foods. Um, and so it's going to have a very different impact on your health compared to if you were someone who has, you know, maybe you live in somewhere where you have more food accessibility and you can be a little choosier with what, you, with what you're eating. Um, and then also your hunger, your hunger dictates like what you're eating, of course. But I think we think that, you know, it's a willpower if we decide to eat, but it's not because you really have very little control. If your body is telling you, you need to eat right now, you need to eat right now. It's the same thing. If you need to sleep, you're probably going to fall asleep wherever you are. I know this happens to me. I sleep almost everywhere and <laughs> constant 
public spaces. So <laughs> I get it. Um, but you know, when it comes to your hunger, like, are you eating enough? If you're not eating enough, your hunger is going to be through the roof. You know, um, is your blood sugar balanced? Things like that will definitely play a role into your food choices. And that's why I think willpower is kind of this, you know, it's kind of this way to just blame us and make us feel guilty and make us feel responsible when really there's a lot of systems at play that we have, we have no idea are going on behind the scenes. Yeah, totally. And, and part of that is, you know, what you mentioned, like the society around us and I honestly feel sometimes that our willpower or at least our like will to keep going or keep eating or not to eat, you know, that's so influenced by our social circles mm -hmm. and, and not only that, but much larger than that, you know, our, the trend even in Toronto is, you know, to go out for drinks or go out for dinner with folks that you're, you know, that you're hanging out with. So, you know, there's a whole lot around that and I can imagine how, someone who you know is struggling with body image issues or needs a little bit more support in that how they deal with that because it's everywhere you know almost everything re really revolves around food and food culture a hundred percent and that's why having a healthy relationship is so important and also so difficult because you know with anything else if you have an unhealthy relationship with it you can just choose to cut it out of your life but food is not one of those things we have to figure out a way to coexist with it we, we need it exactly exactly and yeah it's like catch 22 you know i, I call it the love-hate relationship i have it with coffee yeah. <laughs> but but for folks who have it with food it literally is you know you need food to continue your cycle of life here on this planet right so so there's there's like something in that that speaks to us in more than just the the nutrients and the what's in the food you know the the calories the vitamins everything else it's like beyond that it's like okay what's feeding our soul percent and that's exactly it like as much as like you could just follow this very boring diet that meets all of your caloric you know micronutrient macronutrient needs Unfortunately, like we are very, like we are human beings that require social connection and food is such a great way to tie us to our emotions and to other people. And we have that very deep relationship with it. Yeah. And I, and I like that we do, you know, it's something yeah. that humans have, have come to be in relationship with food for so long. And so it's important that we keep that relationship. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I do want to touch on a little bit before we go to the questions and answers. Um, you know, what kinds of foods really impact our hunger hormones? What are the hunger hormones? Um, and how can we really kind of tap into that and, and know when our hunger hormones are acting up? Yeah, yeah, I love that. So there, there are definitely a couple hunger hormones at play. I want to touch on all of them, but I'll hit on kind of some of the big ones. Um, so leptin is um, a really big one when it comes to our appetite it's considered to be the satiety hormone but it's probably better to think of it as the starvation hormone because its whole role is to make sure we're not starving so leptin is produced in your fat cells and the more fat you have the more leptin you have and that leptin travels up to the brain it goes to the hypothalamus and it says hey we've got enough fat here we're good we're in a good place we don't need to eat anymore and that suppresses our hunger but you can get into this role and 
research is still trying to figure out how this link exactly works, but you can develop leptin resistance. And that happens when you have too much leptin. So maybe you have too much fat and you have too much leptin, but none of that is reaching the brain. It's not reaching the hypothalamus. And so we're not getting those signals that everything's fine. So despite the fact that we have this leptin, your body still thinks it's starving. And so it's gonna keep those hunger hormones or keep that hunger signal going strong. And you're gonna continue to have this urge to eat. Hmm. And, you know, while this isn't the case for most, this particular example, uh, you know, if you don't have leptin, if you don't produce leptin, um, there's some interesting studies done with children who don't produce leptin. Again, this is not most people, most of us have leptin and make leptin just fine, but these children were insatiable and literally their fridges had to be bolted. They were so overweight and they could not stop eating. Like nothing could control them. Like they were eating, you know, frozen fish sticks because they were starving because their brain wasn't getting the memo that, hey, like things, things are okay, we don't need to keep eating. And so that's just how powerful leptin is in, you know, helping along with our food decisions. Um, and, then wow. <laughs> and then another guy is ghrelin. And so ghrelin has the opposite effect. It is our little gremlin in our gut, <laughs> ghrelin. And its whole job is to tell your body like, hey, it's time to eat. So it's produced in the stomach. And so the more ghrelin we have, the hungrier we are. And it's whole job to be like, hey, come on, get some food into your system. We need to store some fat. And one of the biggest ways to increase ghrelin is to diet. This makes sense. The less calories we have, the more our body starts to go into the starvation mode and the more ghrelin we have. And so it becomes this game of trying to balance these hunger hormones and tame them and let our bodies know that, hey, everything goes okay. We're good. We can take a breather. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a good kind of um, read on our hormones and maybe what's acting up and what isn't, or maybe what, what we're, what we need to focus on a little bit more. <laughs> um, we do have some time for questions before we go into the question and answers. Um, I do actually want to just give The Nourished Mind, uh, Tisha's blog, a shout out. I really think there's some amazing, amazing reads in there. Um, of course, Tisha, you're a great writer, so you have a really a good way with words. And just the reader can really kind of get, like just soak everything up in that blog. And I, I really recommend it to everybody out there because it's it's really really important right now that we do nourish our minds that there's so much around us that we really need to kind of stay focused and almost narrow our focus to really what's important what what kinds of things we're putting in our body so yeah you can yeah just it is i think the nourishmind.com right uh, .ca, yes. .ca, .ca, Canadian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, yeah, we actually do have a freebie as well. So everyone that's tuning in, um, I will put the link in uh, the next email out for the replay. And uh, I'll actually put it in here as well. Why not? Just so folks have it and they can take a look um, just even before the question period, maybe some people might be able to take a look and um, be able to ask some more questions about it. So that link is right there in the chat right now. Uh, Tisha, do you have any kind of last words before we uh, just hand it over to the audience? Yeah, I think maybe just one of the biggest things I want to say kind of wrapping this up is to just honor your body and make sure that you're eating enough. If you're someone who's coming from a place of maybe chronic dieting and you're always hungry, you know, it's really important that we kind of nourish our metabolism um, and really honor our hunger. So I kind of want to 
end on that note that, you know, we really need to make sure we're eating enough. And if you're feeling hunger, if you're feeling hungry, it's really important to lean into that um, and, you know, opt for things that will help to fuel your body in a really nourishing and sustainable way. Um, but still allowing to create space for the foods that you already enjoy and love. Mm. Well said, well said. There is space as well, I think, for just like, I think sometimes we should question ourselves because oftentimes when we feel tired, it might be hunger. Right? Oh, a thousand percent. When you are tired and when you are stressed, your cortisol goes up and that's going to cause a, tr that's going to trigger your hunger a hundred percent. And that's, th there's a lot of research to back that up, that if you're getting even one to two hours less sleep, you tend to wake up craving sugar. You're probably going to eat more throughout the day. So it's really, you know, it's not just a nutrition approach. It's really this holistic, you know, well-rounded approach to your health to really manage your your stress and make sure that you're creating enough time for yourself. Nice, nice. Very well said. Thank you so much, Tisha. Uh, we do have some questions. I would love to uh, dive into those. So Alex uh, has the first question here. How do you deal with any guilt that you may feel while beginning your journey on intuitive eating or with intuitive eating? Yeah, no, that can be really, really hard. I think it'd be really beneficial to keep a journal and kind of write down like what feelings you're feeling and maybe why you feel that way. Like if you eat something, do you feel guilty because um, it's a new food for you and that you feel uncomfortable with that? Or maybe there's some reason like you have some reason in your past and there's something that you have an association to this food and just really like breaking down why you feel the way you feel. And also just reminding yourself, it's really good to just kind of be present with yourself and be like, I'm eating this or I feel this way, but this will pass. If you accidentally overeat and you kind of miss the mark on that and you feel not so great, it's really helpful to just kind of say, like, this is temporary. This will go away. Everything will be fine. The world is not over. And kind of just learning to have faith in your body and trust in your body. It obviously takes a lot of time. Um, but I think kind of creating those daily habits and just making sure. Um, I would definitely recommend reading um, Intuitive Eating. Um, there's a book written, I don't have it with me, um, but it kind of breaks down this framework into really actionable steps and it can be a really good, good first step. Okay, so journaling is a good approach. Um, the book Intuitive Eating, even just, yeah, just asking yourself, you know, taking the time to to think about why that guilt is coming up, you know, and maybe there has been other times in your life where the same type of guilt has come up, whether it's with food, eating or otherwise, you know? Yeah, yeah, a lot of the times it's just unpacking these associations we have, you know, um, do you feel like you shouldn't eat something because somebody told you you shouldn't eat something or because it makes you feel like you just don't feel healthy after eating it? And obviously it takes a lot of work to kind of dig down to the root cause, but I think it allows you when you actually think about it, it gives you a space to be a little bit more gentle with yourself to understand you're like, okay, like there's this like inner child in me that maybe just needed comfort and that's why I reached for that food. And like, that's okay. Emotional eating and comfort eating, that's actually okay. We can have space for that. Right. It's almost a, a type of self-soothing, right? A type of self-care. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I can speak to that a little bit too, um, just in terms of, you know, uh, getting sober from alcohol addiction. And again, you know, addiction 
is an addiction. <laughs> Alcohol might be a little bit different than food, but it's still, you know, something that you're putting in your body. And uh, Alex, the way the guilt that I, <laughs> I, I guess, the way that I dealt with my guilt when I drank is that I didn't. <laughs> I literally just kept drinking until I forgot, right. But when I started to slowly uh, approach it in a more intuitive way and asking my body, you know, okay, is this good for me right now? You know, I, I had a little bit more control and I was still drinking, but at least it wasn't drinking at noon. You know, it was like, okay, is this good for me right now? Oh, maybe I haven't drank a glass of water today. You know, maybe I haven't had lunch today yet. Um, and those are like little cues in your mind that you can go through and then eventually you start to sense you, you feel a little bit more control and you have a little bit more of a sense of control, I think, in in your own eating framework. And and again, also the gratitude piece is huge. Right. Um, and I, I worked with a naturopathic doctor in that. But I know that, you know, psychotherapy really helps cognitive behavioral therapy, like Tisha mentioned really helps as well. And it's it's a huge piece that we often overlook because it's so, so simple. Gratitude is the simplest thing, right? And I eventually started to say thank you to alcohol, you know, for being there with me in the times when no one else was, when I didn't know how to think straight, you know, when I didn't want to do anything else, I asked alcohol to be there and it was there for me, right? So then when I started to realize that, I, I realized that I don't need it anymore, right? It was there when I didn't even know that I needed it. And it was like a crutch that I landed on. And so when you start to kind of shed that crutch, it's it's like a whole new, <laughs> a whole new life, right? And, and I think the guilt kind of just dissolves away after that. It still comes up here and there, but it, it will slowly dissolve the more you work on it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and I, I think you, like, you mentioned that and I feel like that it's the same thing with food to some degree like if you can understand why you've made a choice and like why you're craving something or like why you ate something you can be a lot gentler with yourself and then maybe you don't do that next time or maybe you can you can find a new way to cope with something so a hundred percent yeah yeah and um I will ask if there's any other questions but I also have a question for you Tisha um you you write a little bit about in your blog body neutrality and oh. i wanted to know what that was and and maybe in the context of intuitive eating how we can use that yeah so body neutrality is kind of like this middle ground um between like hating your body and maybe the body positivity movement where okay. you're kind of like indifferent but like it's kind of a nice place to be because we don't always love everything about ourselves and we're probably never going to get to a space where you wake up and like every single thing about yourself feels good, especially if you are just starting out and maybe you're trying to eat healthier, you're probably not feeling like you love your body. So instead of taking that big leap to love yourself, can you feel neutral about yourself? Can you come to a space where you can just accept that this is what we're, this is where we are. This is what it is. And that's okay. And I think that can be really helpful for intuitive eating because you are, when you enter intuitive eating, you're going into a very uncomfortable unknown. Because for most of us, we come from a background of 
chronic dieting and we're used to structure and rigidness and you know someone telling us to do something and it's kind of new for us to have to check in with ourselves and be like hey are we good here are we good here <laughs> and so it's kind of nice to have this framework where it's like okay i don't have to love everything about me but maybe i can just be okay with things so maybe i can just make this choice because this is the best choice for me right now as far as i can see it and that's okay wow yeah i i agree i think that that's so key. It's almost a little bit, um, if I can liken it to the sense of detachment. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, I think that's so important because sometimes, you know, I think that what we want is to not obsess so much around food. And for that to happen, we have to not obsess so much about our bodies for better or for worse, whether we like it or hate it. It's kind of just easier if we can be like, hey, this is the vessel that's getting me from point A to point B. I'm grateful to have this vessel getting me there. And like, that can be it. That can be the whole story right now. Mm. Wow, just truth bombs everywhere. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I love it. I, I honestly, I could talk about intuitive eating for a lot longer than just this hour. So um, Tisha, can you, you know, give us any last words of wisdom, maybe something that you've learned in your own story and your own experience about, um, you know, the framework of eating and, and how we can adopt something that works for us? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just to be gentle with yourself. I think so often we're used to coming at things with, okay, exercise more, eat less, do more, be more aggressive, be more productive. And like, it's really, we really need to start nourishing ourselves and kind of, you know, giving ourselves that self-care we really need. And I think that you can do that with nutrition um, and with every aspect of your life, but really just kind of honoring your body and being very gentle with yourself and allowing room for mistakes, uh, allowing yourself to grow, allowing yourself to like mess up and to like live your life and realizing that's kind of all part of this bigger picture and you don't have to have everything figured out right this second, right now. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tisha. It's been so wonderful having you here. And folks listening in, um, please go ahead and click that link um, that I posted in the chat. I'll send it to you via email as well um, to get that free well-fed guide to less hunger and improve metabolism with the one day sample meal plan like we were talking about. Tisha, again, thank you so much. Thank and you. have a lovely evening and a splendid rest of your week. And anyone who's listening in right now as well on the replay on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe and uh, suggest any upcoming topics for us to discuss. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks everybody. again.